Welcome back to the next episode of Reversing Course, the golf course restoration at Wakanda Club. We are here again in the men's card room. I'm Rianne Kinney, the general manager at Wakanda. I have here with me Dane Wilson, our golf course superintendent, and Aaron Kruger, our director of golf. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Okay, we are into a completed another week. How's it going? It's going really good. I mean, even with that rain that we had last week, um, made a lot of headway, moved a lot of dirt, you know, had a number of contractors in, just even more so than our uh, construction contractor and irrigation. You know, we had a, a boring company in to help complete the main line across the waterway. Um, we've had our tree contractors in, and the one that I've been kind of wanting to get in for the most part was been the erosion control. So we got a lot of silt fence put in, and that makes me sleep a little better at night. <laughs> especially considering we've got some rain coming today. Right. But otherwise, um, we're moving all along really well. Drainage team has really kind of hit their stride. So uh, going on our eighth green today out of 13, and once we get them out of the way, we can start tying things together. So everything on track still? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'd like to just uh, talk about the greens just a little bit more uh, in our strategy that we're doing there. Uh, to just elaborate just a little bit more on um, how that's all working, um, you know that we're we're redoing some, but we're we're leaving some, and we're doing expansions on some. Can you just run through that for us just a little bit? Yeah. So you know, as we started this process, the biggest thing that we had talked about was creating consistency, and so we do have uh, five greens on the course that are being re rebuilt. Four of which were USGA greens currently, and we're. Um, we're working to put those back as push-up greens, you know, so then we have a consistent set of greens all the way around. The fifth out of those um, is just a green that was rebuilt in the late 50s that isn't very characteristic of the original design, and we're just going to marry the upper two green and the lower two green somewhere in the middle and just restore that. Um, out of those, you know, we're using the sod on those five greens to do our expansions, and we have roughly... 20,300 square feet of expansions and then about 22 to 23,000 square feet. I have an exact number, but I won't. So 22,729 of existing greens. <laughs> but um, with that being said, I mean, we have to take that into consideration is because, you know, what our sod is dictates what our expansions can be. And then outside of that, you do have to factor in, you know, 10% loss whenever we go strip those greens, you know, whether you edge over a little too far or for whatever reason that is but um yeah so all of our expansions you know um we create those on those 13 greens we core them out to six inches um we did do a lot of probing to figure out where our top dressing layer was and so that's going to save us some money on some mix and things mm -hmm. like that but um once we're in a position which hopefully we will be by next week we'll be able to start stripping number two green and have that installed on greens three four one and 18 um, then that way we could start the bulldozer work on number two but and so the thought behind reusing that <laughs> that existing sod is that is that consistency yeah that, that's also part of it consistency uh, with that and then uh, for those five greens that we're going to redo we're going to use the same seed that's on the existing greens which is a1a4 um, you know, we had talked a lot about maybe trying to intercede throughout this process into the, even the existing greens and then creating our own blend of a newer variety mm -hmm. with the A1A4 for when we go seed those greens. But, you know, in talking around, 
you know, why change the wheel, right? So right. the worry there was if we try to create that blend, some of these newer bent grasses, I mean, there's no telling what population you might end up with. And right. so, you know, where we talk about consistency, um, we could have potentially been left with five greens that are different than the remaining 13. Same thing as what we have. Same thing as what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. While while we're dealing with grass types at that point, it's still managing differently to them. Right, right. Tell us just, and we won't get on this too far, but tell us just a little bit how you manage the greens differently up until this point, how you've had to manage the greens differently. Oh, boy. Um, In a a brief summary. Brief summary. So... um, High level, I guess, um, when you think about, you know, a number of different things, uh, moisture content, nutrient availability, um, disease pressure, you know, the difference between the push-up greens and the USGA greens are, you know, there's a large gap between there. So, you know, the USGA greens require more nutrients because they have a tendency to leach some of the products that you put down. Um, push-up greens tend to have higher disease pressure because you do hold more moisture in those, you know, typically. Um, but th- that's kind of the weird thing too, is just our, our USGA greens as they stand, they don't necessarily act like USGA greens, mm. which is weird. And part of that too, is I just, um, you know, on those five greens, we only have been, have been able to find a high side vent. So, you know, I think that they just don't breathe very well anyways, and they tend to hold more moisture, but, uh, still even, even still they are healthier on a daily basis and mowing practices on the two mowing practices for the most part stay the same you know the thing that we have to be conscious of is um, whether we add the roller or not right. you know because we want those cons- that consistency throughout the golf course our usga greens would typically roll six to 12 inches faster than the push-up greens yeah yeah and so we just have to monitor that you know on daily play as we go as well as tournaments and uh, member events so making them all consistent all push-up adding in drainage which helps alleviate some of the issues that we'd see uh, typically with push-up greens um, makes it so that you can now manage all greens hopefully on a, a level playing field more yeah. consistently yeah and the mix that we got uh, or we had blended for these areas of expansions as well as the new greens that we do build um, you know, we did some physical analysis tests and we figured out particle sizes of sand. Um, and we found a mix that's, you know, pretty, you know, well, as comparable as possible to what we have currently. Right. And so there might be a one to two year gap where they still might act a little different, but eventually just based on these analysis or physical analysis tests that we've got, I think everything will, you know, even out mm-hmm. and everything will be the same. So the XGD drainage that's going into our push-up greens is going to actually act like a USGA green drainage-wise, more not, or less? Not necessarily like a USGA green, but it'll, it'll just have this ability to pull water out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the USGA green's just built differently in terms of the gravel layer and the drainage in it and then everything. So it acts more like a perched water table, whereas it fills up, then it flushes out. Okay. Whereas this XGD, you know, if, if you do hit a certain saturation point, it actually is going to pull more laterally than, you know, vertically. vertically. I got you. Okay. Hmm. Nice. So as the greens are growing in, will we do anything different uh, in ensuring that we have a, a, a good grow in with the um, 
the green expansions compared to the reseeded greens? Are there different things that we're going to be doing for those? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, for the, the sodded greens, there's really not a you know, large difference in maintenance because we're basically taking the existing grass and we're just growing right. sod. Mm -hmm. So those practices will remain largely unchanged in terms of our programs. Whereas during the grow-in, um, we're going to have to just monitor those a lot differently because we're dealing with seed. Um, growing those in, you know, they're, they're going to start at a different height of cut as they get up and then less repetitions, obviously. And then really watching disease because the amount of water that we're going to have to put on them throughout the process, mm -hmm. as well as the pre-amendment fertilizers and post-amendment fertilizers, mm -hmm. you know, that, that puts us in a realm, especially during this time of year, where we're going to be susceptible to disease throughout the process. Mm -hmm. So as we go into winter, what, uh, what's, what's, what do we do there as we go into winter? Uh, well, if we're on track. So if we're hitting our target, you know, somewhere from between now and say middle of August to get these green seed and, you know, we'll have a, you know, a really good stand of grass going into winter, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to treat those or we, that we can treat them the same as the others. And so seeing as they are new seedlings, new grass, um, typically in the past, we would just bury the greens in sand and then leave them be over the winter. Mm -hmm. But we do have some tarps left over from, um, years past and so what we'll do is we'll still top dress those greens but we'll also add covers to mm -hmm. ensure that they you know remain viable on the through the greens and then just do the sand on the sodded greens correct um, so what's the hope this winter what do you hope for do you hope for just a bunch of snow uh, ideally mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so I mean if, if we've got our top dressing layer and then those other greens with blankets if we get a, a decent amount of snow cover that can last a little while um, then that would be ideal. You know, that'll provide insulation for not only these new greens, but our new fairways, new teas, you know, everything that we're growing in. Mm -hmm. Will there be any airification this fall? Um, airification this fall, not on the fairways or teas um, or any of the new, basically no new seeded areas. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll, we'll look and evaluate our new, you know, green expansions, you know, because whenever you do this sod on greens, especially at uh, those lower heights of cuts, you're you're going to see those seams for a little while. So we have to baby those along. But the way that we can blend those better is just through airification. So it really all just depends on how we feel health-wise, mm -hmm. how well they're rooted in, mm -hmm. how they've stabilized. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for that update on that. Um, deep. Uh, taking a little deeper dive into what we're doing on the greens. So let's get to our, back into the uh, episode for this week, which is getting back into the future of uh, maintenance at Wakanda. So we want to talk about how this, uh, how this restoration will impact um, how we do the daily maintenance on the course. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as we enter this process, I mean, it's always great to think about what it can be, right? But the biggest thing is to also consider how that affects your maintenance practices. And so, I mean, as it stands right now, I mean, we've got 24 acres of fairways, roughly three, just over three acres of greens, um, three acres of teas. And so, you know, we know what we're doing. We know what our staff levels are capable of, as well as what our equipment needs are. And we have everything that we need at this current moment to maintain what we have now. But as we think into the future, you know, you think about now 34 to 35 acres of fairways. Um, 
you know, 180,000 square feet of bunkers as opposed to 70,000 square feet, almost four acres of greens instead of, you know, over three, um, things change. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, we're in a unique position, too, where coming into this project, or at least this winter, um, the majority of our equipment is uh, leased. And so the unique aspect of that is coming into this is that um, our, our big lease package was coming up. Mm-hmm. So that allowed us to really evaluate what those new needs are mm-hmm. and then tailor that to the new golf course. And so, I mean, as it stands right now, I've got two fairway mowers, two bunker rakes, uh, eight greens mowers and four T mowers. Um, going into this, we knew obviously with more acreage, more bunkers, you know, this is our opportunity. And so as we move into next year coming in March or April or April, God willing, that, um, we get our new equipment package and that allows to have, uh, three fairway units, um, hundred inch fairway units instead of 72, um, three bunker rakes and then six T mowers and six greens mowers, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and even that though, you know, we're, we're looking at it and, and which is, it was, uh, I guess, serendipitous that we could get this new package and that timing worked out, but even still, you know, it's not all the way ideal. You know, we're looking even further than just next year or even the next five years, you know, we want to be able to set us up for success. And so while we we made it work and you made it work with what you know what we our budgets could allow at the current moment ideally we'd like to add into that even more eventually yeah um you know we we all know it but obviously uh throughout this process and it's going to happen with any project you know some of that member attrition you know really affected the way that we're looking at things not only now but you know over the next five years and so as it stands, you know, as we do this new lease package, you know, we we were kind of restricted to a degree where we wanted to spend the same amount, you know, with this new lease package mm-hmm. as we do with the old one. Right. Which is extremely difficult considering that, you know, from our last package, which was in 2018 to now, I mean, an average piece of equipment across the board has increased 44 to 48%. Right. Which is nuts. And then outside of that, too... You know, I think we were very forward thinking and understanding that, you know, just like any industry where availability of equipment is sometimes 12 to 16 months out, Mm -hmm. which is why um, my equipment manager and I, Troy, uh, we began working on this lease package in December Mm -hmm. and knowing that our lease package doesn't even come up until October of this year. Mm -hmm. And we put all that information together, met with all the vendors and, you know, that what we ended up going with, we were actually able to guarantee our pricing, you know, all the way through up that time frame, and then we, had, you know, signed the new lease in April, yeah, giving us that twelve months to be able to receive the equipment. Right, mm-hmm. right, and so yeah, we, I mean, we we have to be good stewards of the club. We have to be uh, conscious of our budgets. We have to be conscious of our membership levels. So while it was good timing as far as the being able to renew the package um, uh, that coincides with the uh, golf course restoration, um, it would also be nice to have another year uh, to see our membership levels come up a little bit more and know a little bit better about what those budgets might be. But that's always something that we can revisit. Um, or add an addendum to that package and be able to uh, add more equipment if needed as well. And I think that that's, you know, 
important to note as well that while we right now we think that that's what we want or that we need or you know and I know that you've planned it very well we might get into it and go actually you know this might be a little bit better or we need this piece or we need that piece or you know something on that sort too mm-hmm. as we manage the course for a year and have that one year under our belts too yeah and in everything that we did I mean you know we put a lot of thought into what our new needs were right and we made sure 100 percent those items that were absolutely necessary to maintain this new golf course um, were within that yes. package. Yep. Yeah. And I and I got to thank you. You did a great job with that. And you have been working on this for, for a very long time and going back and forth and figuring out what, what our necessities are and within our budget. And that it has not been an easy task. So, um, and aligning it with our needs on the new course. So... Uh, and on that line, we do have at the same time new cart fleet. Uh, so our cart pa- our cart fleet uh, lease was up mm-hmm. as well, and we're able to time that. I mean, this all kind of lined up really perfectly as far as timing and the, as that goes. So uh, tell us a little bit about our new cart fleet, Aaron. Yeah. So as Dane was talking about that, I couldn't help but think how fortunate we were with the timing on the golf cart lease, which was set to expire this past winter. And so we had been, you and I had been working on a new golf cart fleet. Um, in the early spring of 2022 um, to take delivery at the start of this year yeah. before this project was was approved and in motion. And so um, as the project uh, became in play um, this past uh, summer and into this fall, we were able to then kind of put our 2023 fleet on hold for one full year. And then we were able to maintain our 22 or current fleet, which we had had it since uh, 2018. Yeah. Um, and so that was at the end of its lease. And then we just did a monthly rent um, from our golf car vendor, which was a, a wonderful um, partnership there to be able to do that just while we were open until the mid mid part of June. And so now we, uh, we are completely free on any of our car payments and uh, we weren't able to, to renew our GPS for the short term, but we'll have GPS in our new fleet. We'll take possession of a new fleet next spring before we reopen. And actually, it gave us an opportunity to go um, look at the newest technology Mm -hmm. in in golf cart as well. And so we're moving from a a lead-acid battery with six six big battery terminals um, to a lithium battery. Mm -hmm. And the lithium battery is new technology, significantly better, and 21% less weight. You're going from 909 pounds on a lead-acid to 718 pounds on a lithium, which I think Dane would be pretty happy about reducing the weight of the golf cart and the stress on the turf Mm -hmm. by 21%. So um, battery levels will last a lot longer. They'll charge a lot faster. They're way more efficient in their charging. So our energy levels will be better. Um, And we don't have to water them. So there's huge savings there. But um, yeah, the way this lined up, this project with our golf carts, we we were very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for your work on that as well. That was good uh, foresight to see hey, we, we have an opportunity here to yeah. line this up and, and, you know, also the opportunity to not have cart lease payments while we're doing the, the restoration. That I mean, it all just really fell in line perfectly. Yep, absolutely. Um, so let's, let's move on to maybe labor as we, look at the, um, as we look at the new course and how we're going to allocate our labor hours. I know that, you know, how, how we currently allocate them uh, in your daily maintenance uh, structure is is going to be different than 
what they look like going forward. Um, maybe run us through, you know, we can do a kind of a quick rapid fire of, um, of labor hours that we have allocated currently compared to what we're going to do in the future. And this again um, goes with all of that planning that you've been doing. You know, when we first started planning this, not one moment were you not involved, uh, Dane, because it was really important that we didn't build a course that we were unable to manage in the future. And so that's that's been very valuable to to this project. So let's run through um, the the labor allocation, shall we? Sure. Okay. Uh, so currently, hours spent on bunkers. Uh, on a daily basis, we use eight man hours with two units. And then um, as we look forward, you know, if, if we are at that 180, which we're actually trending a little bit under, or 180,000 square feet, I mean, we're, we're trending under right now. And so as I kind of look at it, you know, you know, a lot of those are actually still, you know, in front of the fairways. And so not many people right. are going to be in those. Right. So we'll tailor that a little bit. But if we are to rake all bunkers, you know, we're probably looking at 16 hours main hours with four people instead of two to address those. And that's with three units and then one assisting with raking the edge. Okay. But if we're just doing in-play areas, we're probably around 11, 12 hours of main. Okay. So fairways. Um, two units, 10 man hours right now. Um, with our uh, new equipment fleet, um, I anticipate you know 15 man hours, so three units instead of two. Okay. Uh, tease doesn't change much. Tease doesn't won't change much. I mean, we'll have a little more um, square feet to that, but right now we're typically around eleven man hours with three units, and I expect us to be around thirteen with three. And greens. Greens, uh, pretty similar to that. I mean, right now we typically are around seven man hours per day with three units, um, and then. Uh, moving forward, we'd probably use four units just to move us all the way through and then still be within, you know, nine, ten hour, ten man hours. And rough. Rough. Uh, as it stands right now, we manage about 95 acres of rough. And so on a given week, that's about 85 man hours between three units. As we move forward, I mean, that's that's going to be one thing that significantly shrinks. You know, with the 12 extra acres of fairways, 21 acres of native, you know, now we're talking about managing, you know, 60 acres of rough or even less than that so i'd assume um you know from my thought process we'll be around 60 man hours but that'll be t between the normal rough units as well as hand mowing because there's going right. to be a significant amount more of that right so we have the same acreage we're landlocked we have the same acreage that we're managing we're just managing it differently right so we're taking man hours from here and putting them over here basically yeah, especially when you're thinking about fairways and rough. Um, since I'm oversimplifying it, because no. I know it's completely <laughs> oversimplifying it. So, okay, so we we're we're budgeting for probably more labor. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, currently on a typical year, we would uh, budget for you know, um, you know, shoulder seasons. We're around 16, and then as we uh, move into the summer season, we're around 22. So to some degree, I don't expect that to change people. all people. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that to change all too much, but we might be in that 23, 24 yep. in season and then, you know, 17 um, in the shorter seasons. Yeah. But now, I guess, as I think about it too, you know, this labor market that we're in right now, you know, it's been hard to get to that 16 number. Mm -hmm. and so usually we would find ourselves around 11 or 12, 
you know, sometimes 13 in a, in a good time frame. But, not um, by choice. Not by choice, but, yeah. you know, we've looked at our labor, uh, or not labor hours, but our starting wage, and, you know, we've made an increase this year, which actually we had a good response to. Mm-hmm. So as we, we've kind of backfilled ourselves with high school kids right now just to get us through the summer, but as those kids mm-hmm. go back to school, we'll kind of look at where we're at. We'll actually put us at 12 on headcount. You know, we'll look to maybe hire a few more people to see if we can find that staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see the labor market kind of evening out some in your area? I haven't had to do any hiring probably since um, middle of May, mm-hmm. so which is a good thing. Yeah. But um, the response that we got at this new wage was significantly better, and it allowed us to actually kind of not be reliant on just whoever's walking in the door. Yeah. It allowed us to kind of really evaluate, you know, who was walking in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we ha- we've had to do that and look at that property-wide. You know, I think every every industry, um, is, especially hospitality, has been hit with those increased uh, base wages, and and we have definitely had to make those adjustments property wide. And glad that we're able to to do that and budget for that because that has made a significant impact on on our ability to hire and hire good talent. So, well, then the Oakleaf Scholarship is a Absolutely. Huge benefit for recruiting and retention. Yes. You know, and Dane, with all your high school kids I see, I see if they can stick around another year or two, there's, that's a huge benefit to offer to them. I know that's helpful my staff as well. Yep, yep. And, yeah, your staff, the pool staff, tennis staff, food and beverage staff, everybody. I mean, we have um, – how much have we awarded it's, in It's been well over 100000 oh, well and, and we're just yeah. starting this, this year. So kudos to our membership who support that and Greg Whitkey and – all and of it helps. The, the board there, yeah. Yeah. So moving back into future maintenance, um, let's talk about bunkers. We talked about a little bit yesterday or last week um, about how we're changing the way that we're managing these bunkers. We have added a significant number of bunkers. You kind of talked about it a little bit that um, you know some of those aren't necessarily you know too laborious to manage because of their fairway bunkers and and whatnot but maybe run us through uh you know how we're seeing that change yeah so with the expanded square footage that we've got um like i said a little bit ago we'll just we'll manage more so to the in play areas and then some of these ones at the start of the fairways or that out of the way that are just typically there for visuals you know we might you know, rake all in-play areas daily um, and or spot check them on weekends just depending on what staff we've got. So to some degree, our in-play areas don't change from what we've done in the past. But the um, the four bunkers, as you would call it, um, we might rake those once a week. Like on mm-hmm. six, for yeah. example. Well, okay. yeah, so um, six, you know, three, depending on if we put that in, 11, 12. Right. Um, but those, I mean, even still, those those still require maintenance, and then they still need to be visually appealing. And so certain things that we'll do that we'll actually work on chemically is we'll go through there, and then at uh, various times throughout the year, we'll spray pre-emergent chemicals and pre-emergent right. herbicides in there just to make sure that at least no, there we don't have any weeds popping up, mm-hmm. grass is growing in the bunkers, you know, and, and then visually that will remain the same. Yeah. You know, because inevitably the reason why you typically don't have weeds in your bunkers is because you rake them daily, and so you don't allow that seed bank to populate. So if those bunkers are sitting still, then you have mm-hmm. more of a chance to mm-hmm. do that. So if we continue this 
pre-emergent herbicide and, um, you know, at least once, twice a week maintenance. Right. You know, um, that's how I envision it it moving forward right so and this is this is a dumb question um but are you you'll be using the sand pros yeah we'll still be able to use the machine rakes that we use right now um they have brush attachments um and really creates a nice nice smooth finish on everything and then um we'll kind of We'll, we'll figure it out as we go at how we manage our edges. You know, as it stands right now with our mm -hmm. flash faces, we typically rake them up and right. or push them down. But there might be an opportunity where we do something different. I mean, a lot of people are going to this Aussie style, if you mm -hmm. will, where you kind of just take a squeegee almost and mm. pack, rake, the face. pack the face, rake your edge. But the nature of them being a flat bottom bunker, we'll just need to evaluate what the best practice is for mm -hmm. these edges. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about the sand that's going in the bunkers. The sand that we've got is actually the same as what we've had in the past. Um, you know, the pro-angle sand that which comes out of Ohio, the crushed quartz effectively. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's something, it's not necessarily something that the tour requires, but they recommend. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I know that they invested into that originally back in 2012, mm -hmm. right? Yep, correct. So we wanted to keep that same sand just ultimately more than anything just the consistency of it and then um, the playability of it it packs really well it stays firm mm -hmm. and so we wanted to reuse that now while it might be costly um, we've also kind of determined or we've quantified how much old sand that we could use and it it might not be like a hundred percent the same color but it's relatively close and mm -hmm. so what we're going to do is use that as our base layer and then top so, it off yeah. with the new sand mm -hmm. Great. which you know in our calculations are going to save us a significant amount of money mm -hmm. you know 150 to 180 thousand dollars so just uh, really quickly the pro angle sand tell us about how that you know why that sand specifically why it packs the angles that it's you know cut in and and why that makes a difference more than anything it's just because because of the the basically particle right basis so it's not a rounded sand it's right. angular and mm -hmm. so what tends to do is it it locks in together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to if you had a rounded sand then it has ability to shift move and you know wash you know, out wash out right. yeah 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 As before we did these bunkers with their flash faces any any sort of rain or even irrigation would wash the faces out and we spent so much time rebuilding mm -hmm. pushing up it'd be a full day the whole crew would rebuild the bunkers. It's, oh it's made such a difference. What about the liners? What uh, what type of liner are we using in the new bunkers? All bunkers get new liners. Yeah, all the bunkers get new liners, and we'll still be using the same uh, liners as we had before. I mean, I, I say that, but um, before we did have some of the Sand Trapper 1, which is just a basically a small, thin foam layer. But there was also just black fabric in some of these bunkers, too, which mm. tends to deteriorate faster. Yeah. So this will all be the same, sand trappers throughout the whole bunker. Um, and then just by the nature of it, just these flat bottom bunkers, that's why we made that decision. I mean, mm. um, because we're looking at maybe $1.41 per square foot as opposed to some of these newer technologies, you know, capillary concrete, better belly bunker, where you're dipping into the, you know, 350 a square foot right. range. Wow. Which we didn't necessarily need because of the... Because of the nature of the bunkers. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the way I think about it too is... Um, if we're doing the right things, then our maintenance practices will take care of any issues with the, you know, liner that we've chosen, which is the sand trapper. And when whenever you really run into issues on those is when you have your steeper faces. Um, you know, you're supposed to have two in two to three inches on your steep mm. faces, then four, four to five in the bottoms. 
So if we have that sand cover in our flat bunkers, then we're less susceptible to heaving of staples mm -hmm. and liner coming up and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Which we started to see on some of those faces. Yeah, as we nine, thirteen. I remember. Right. Just in the last few months. Yeah. I mean, you name it: two, nine, yeah. thirteen, five, yeah. seven. Yeah. How many rakes do we have, and how many rakes are we going to need? <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I drive around and, and like, wow, we're going to need to increase our rakes. Oh boy. And, and maybe hopefully they get used. Yeah, we just figure out whose budget they go on. <laughs> Is there a question on that? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've always put it into. Uh, Pro shop budget on my past projects. That's where that goes. All right. Yeah. All right. No, but um, if they use them, I'll buy them. Okay. Yeah. Oh, if 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 they use them, I'll buy them on my own. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean. No, I I really can't quantify how many bunker rakes we actually have right now, but typically, I mean, two to three per bunker, so probably around, um, probably somewhere around 80, 85, maybe need double that. Yeah. You know, at a yeah. minimum, on some of these four bunkers, like we'd probably only put one out because you know, right. If you're in those, you got more problems than not. <laughs> breaking your neck. <laughs> okay. Last night's tour, I got a lot of questions. How many bunker lessons are we going to be giving next year? And I think it's going to be a lot. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, fairways. Uh, how will we maintain our fairways differently with the dominant Extreme 7? Is that something that, will it change the way that we maintain our fairways? Does our mowing height change? Um, what Tell us a little bit, or does it not change? Um, yes and no. I mean, um, mowing height mowing height's going to change. Some of these new, these new bent grasses actually perform better at lower heights of cut. And so where we were just under a half an inch on our current stand, or what was our current stand of pin cross, pin links, um, with this dominant Extreme 7, we'll probably be targeting somewhere mowing around 0.375 instead of point. Four five zero, maybe even lower than that. Um, you know, the frequency won't change at all. I mean, we'll, we'll switch our growth regulator programs from what typically has been primo in the past now to trim it, um, and that'll manage the POA intrusion a little more. And then, outside of that, I know we've talked a little bit, you know, between us about airification and top dressing. And you know, right when I got here, thank you for letting me buy that fairway top dresser. <laughs> but um, thank, thank the members. Yeah, to some degree, I mean, we, we started that program, you know, because we're trying to create a better environment for bent grass as opposed to POA. Um, so we really need to dedicate ourselves to this top dressing program yeah. as, it, as we move forward, because we do have, you know, while the soil is good, it's still very heavy. And so we're working on that soil modification as we move forward, and part of that is that top dressing and airification practices. Mm -hmm. And Aaron and I have talked about it a little bit, but, you know, we also probably need to look at the timing of our airification as well. Mm -hmm. So instead of being in late September, we probably need to move ourselves more to late August mm -hmm. as we go airfy. The reasoning behind that is so that we can do our cultural practices, but get that plant to heal in and um, you know knit in before you know our window of poet germination, which mm -hmm. would be in that late September time frame. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I know we've talked about the new irrigation system at Lake, so um, you know we know a lot about the changes there. But just uh, some, you know, again, my dumb questions. But um, you know, we're gonna have a lot of extra sprinkler heads. Yeah. Out there, are we gonna have extra time in edging all of those? Uh, is that gonna be a thing? Uh, yeah. No. I mean, I really don't. I mean, our guys fly through a lot of our detail tasks. 
Yeah. Um, you know, actually, as it stands right now, even on what we currently have, and, you know, for example, I guess right now we've got 978 sprinkler heads currently. Uh, we typically don't edge the T heads, you know, with the exception of maybe once every two months. Mm -hmm. So we mainly focus on fairways and greens. And so, um, you know, with this new irrigation system, we'll be around uh, trending towards about 1,218 sprinkler heads. Mm -hmm. So even still, um, the amount of heads around greens don't change. The fairways probably increase by a third. Um, you know, and most of the time I can edge all the sprinkler heads within two days. Mm -hmm. So if I add another day into that, then, you know, that'd be relatively easy. Mm -hmm. But um, outside of that, no, I, I think um, we may switch our practices a little bit and it's going to de depend on how it goes right now. I mean, on a given week, I mean, we're able to edge bunkers, edge sprinkler heads, trim around trees all within one week. Now, mm -hmm. we've got a lot less trees, which is great. Um, but... I think to some degree we'll still be able to maintain that or just create some sort of balance where bi-weekly we're addressing all these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about our new native areas? I know we're introducing some new native areas, um, you know, that adds to your maintenance practices. What, tell us what yeah. you're doing there. Well, I mean, while, while people call these native or no-mo, I mean, that's, that's or natural or low maintenance, <laughs> how many different terms can we use? But the reality is, is that's not the case. I mean, um, there still is additional maintenance to those. And right now we're slated to put in 21 acres of native. Um, we're going to look at that as we go through this project. I mean, if, if we've got disturbed areas, for sure we're going to install those native areas. But there might be a couple areas, too, that we just install throughout the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, I mean... To get to where we really want to be, you know, it's really hard to establish these mm -hmm. native areas and have get them to the look that you want, mm -hmm. where you know they're not too thick, where you can't find a ball. Um, they're not too thin, where it doesn't look like there's anything there. But then, you know, there's a, there's going to be growing pains through it. You know, if you think about herbicides, um, pre-emergence, you know, you really got to establish these fescue areas before you can add some of those inputs into them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that, that's something that we're just going to have to, you know, grow into, I guess. Right. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? What, what else is on your top of your mind as we go into the future of maintenance next year? The future of maintenance. <laughs> um, you know, anything new, I guess I don't really have a whole lot. I mean, it's just things that I'm thinking about. And, you know, obviously my mind is... A, you know, especially now we've entered this point, is a little preoccupied with mm -hmm. some other things. But, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Understandable. Really, I, th I think we've kind of really thought through everything that, you know, what our future is going to be. And so I feel in a really comfortable spot, whether it be the increased acreage, increased bunker square footages, what our equipment fleet, fleet looks like. Um, I'm encouraged by the current staffing market. Um, I, I think that we've got all positives moving mm -hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. What, uh, for both of you, what have you, what have you learned so far going through this? I'll let you go first, Dan. I just think that, uh, what, whatever's in this book, um, for the master plan is just the tip of the iceberg mm. and the amount of work that Dane, his team have put in and 
all the people that he has on property that are contributing to this project is the scale of it is far bigger than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. I've not gone through one of these yet. Um, and to see it, what are we three weeks in, four weeks in and to see how detailed all of these plans, what he's talking about, not only for building right now, but thinking about ahead, what, what it's going to be, um, doesn't even scratch the surface of what's in that book. Mm -hmm. So, or what, yeah, I guess I said that backwards. But it, it's just such an in-depth process that is so interesting to see play out just in this early onset. I'm mm -hmm. blown away by it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. What about you, Dave? I just, more than anything, I think, you know, you know, obviously this is going on my third year. And so, you know, from year one until even to this point, you drive around the property and you see some of this stuff that, is still there, you know, some of the existing grass bunkers and you try to think about what it's going to look like. And, mm. you know, as much as we plan and coordinate and prepare ourselves for something like this, I mean, you think about, to Aaron's point, what is it going to look like? And now that it's coming to fruition, I mean, you know, just like we've talked about going back in time, back to the future, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it's extremely interesting to see this stuff come through. And while it's modernized, it's, it's a true to, you know, what was here or, you know, the style of mm -hmm. 1922. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. It's so, it's just such a, such a very special place. The, uh, as we went through this project, it's been, it's been a couple years in the making now, but last summer, my wife, daughter and I went up to Lasoni links in central Wisconsin. And that's, Probably the most well-known Langford golf course. It was restored. It's stunning, the scale of its massive. And and it's that's where the light bulb really went on mm. for me to see what Langford's genius really was mm -hmm. and how, how we have it, but it was hidden. Mm -hmm. And now it's being fully exposed and brought out. And our scale is going to match and probably even surpass that of Lasoni, which is which is outstanding. And and so for our members, if you're looking for somewhere to go, go up to central Wisconsin and go play Lasonia Links. It's a great deal. It's, it's eye opening. It's it's going to show you things that you've seen but haven't realized out here. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to see our golf course transform. You're starting to see it right now, but the scale of it's massive. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. That's when you see it in person. I think as we're doing some tours and things, it's um, evident that it's so much more massive the scale than what we any of us imagined. Yes. And we're doing so much justice for this club and this course and what it deserves. Yeah. And what it has been for the last 100 years and what it was originally and bringing it back to that to that glory and that just majesty that mm -hmm. you just see out there when you stand out there it's just amazing mm -hmm. it's awe-inspiring it is and we, these the tours that we're having for our membership to see over 50 last night and walk around and and uh, see their eyes open and, and mm -hmm. start to see like oh wow yeah the, see their excitement level really i know i'm sure it drives you guys that's like the, it does me i think yeah the best thing I think about our jobs is seeing our members proud of their club mm -hmm. and that was what I saw in their faces yeah absolutely. last night absolutely and that makes you know that makes all of us feel really good about what we're doing so yeah 
Okay, well, meet me in the card room next week. You got it. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you.